CG, what are we doing? We are recording an ad for Nerd Critics Premium Membership. What's that? <laughs> so, you know, you know what it is. You know what we're doing. <laughs> You're gonna make me say it. Well, I don't know what you said. I, I know what <laughs> I know what Nerd Critic is. I know what Himalaya is. I, I don't know what uh, I don't. What are you? We are recording an ad for Nerd Critic to the Max. That's right. <laughs> That's what this is. So so if you go to Himalaya.com slash nerdcritic, you'll see a button that talks about becoming a premium member. It says nothing about to the max, but that's fine. <laughs> One it day. Is, it, <laughs> it is a premium membership for Nerd Critic. You get like four things. <laughs> I think it might be five, but, is it but five? we'll see. Right. We'll see. All right. You get the episodes two days early. You get bonus episodes. You get to be a part of our live shows, various live shows that we do, and a bunch of giveaways. Uh, and that's the four I know of. Is there a fifth? Well, the fifth thing technically actually is uh, is that uh, you never have to listen to these kinds of ads. Oh, yeah. It's all, they're all ad-free. That's right. Ad-free episodes, yeah. including the bonus episodes, which sometimes have nothing to do with movies. A lot of the times have nothing Usually to do with have nothing to do with movies. There's stuff like uh, Jordan's love for Legos. That's right. There's stuff like Jordan's hate for bicycle helmets. Oh, man. <laughs> and everything in between. I don't know if this is a good pitch. <laughs> Let's walk that back real quick. Uh, how much does it cost? If for, in my opinion, it costs a couple of dollars. No, no, no. A few. I don't remember which one. I forgot what stance I took, but it's $2.99. It's $2.99. It's and 299. There's been, there have been some arguments about whether $2.99 constitutes a couple or a, or few. a few. I guess it's just, it's, it's, a, it's a fupple. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a fupple. It's a fupple of dollars. <laughs> For just a fupple of dollars each month, you're going to be a part of Nerd Critic to the max. And think about it this way. Do you really want a fupple of dollars? Are you going to miss your, a fupple of dollars? Are you, the question. Do you want to hold on to, in your hands, a fupple of dollars? I think you want to get rid of that. Yeah. I think you need to get rid of that. It doesn't sound great. I don't want to hold on to a fupple of dollars. I don't want a fupple of anything, to be honest. <laughs> All right. Well, I, do, do you think we were really I, convincing? Not at all. Oh. But, you know, that's kind of what we do. We're just, <laughs> we're there, and hopefully people enjoy it. So Listen, if you I, want to enjoy a little bit more, go check out Himalaya.com slash nerdcritic. Well, I don't love the... The lack of confidence? I don't love the lack of confidence, <laughs> but... Listen, we said for a fupple of dollars. <laughs> all right, just just cut. Just, it's fine. <laughs> We uh, we have begun. I, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> Good try, CJ. We, we Good try. <laughs> the red light is on. Hey, shh, and the process shh, of shh, shh, capturing shh, our audio stop, has begun. Stop. Just <laughs> hello and welcome to Nerd Critic, a podcast about big movies from the dual perspective of critical nerdiness. My name is Jordan, and I'm CJ. Uh, Jordan here is our studied and credentialed critic who is wearing his nerd critic t-shirt. That is that is true. Um, it is just a little off center. You were right all those it is. months ago, but uh, I still love it. And uh, CJ here is our resident nerd, also wearing his nerd critic t-shirt. And I bet none of you can even guess why. <laughs> Dixon, can you tell us why? 
No, no, I can't. Yes, I can. No, I absolutely can. I want, it, it is uh, it is your 100th episode. That's right. Yeah. And congratulations hey, to you both. You, you know, it was you so did much it. nicer hearing it from someone else than having <laughs> to say it to It's true. Uh, having someone say happy birthday to you <laughs> is a lot less sad than saying happy birthday to me. Happy birthday to, to us. It's just like, to, like a tear-stroked mirror. During our actual birthversary episode, that's exactly what we had that to do. That is what we Which did, is yeah. why we ate cake on that episode. That's such um, an embarrassing episode. Oh, that's the best episode in, we've in, ever in done. In case you couldn't tell uh mr dixon Gaines, who joined us for our spider-man far from home episode uh has come back i I don't know why he agreed to come back but he did probably because we're covering such a similar movie it is (laughs) virtually exactly the same plot if you ask me i I came back i thought you guys would have cake again (laughs) (laughs) i assumed that there would be cake uh, uh, some yeah. wires were crossed. Uh, yeah. Well, uh, I have to say, Dixon, that you were no question the most requested return. Uh, people just loved your wit and your charm. So here you are, back with us for our hundredth episode. Thank, well, thank, well, what a sweet thing for everyone to say and think. And that is the, <laughs> the last thing that you want to do is encourage me. But I thank you. <laughs> I thank you anyway for having me back on. But I, no, I'm very excited to talk about this movie uh, with you guys and. I, I, I clearly this is, creates a precedent where whenever there's a comic book movie, you have to have me on, which means you'll be having me on for virtually every movie <laughs> that comes out for like the next year and a half. You just sort of in, inducted yourself into <laughs> into our team. Um, I'm also I'm also looking at a couple of pages of notes. Yeah, uh, printed out. These are not handwritten this is a, notes. This is a this is a deal. So I um uh well okay. Do we need to do anything business-wise before we dive in? I mean, I think the conversation is going to be long on this one. So we better, we better Let's dive just in. do it. Let's, Let's go in. Okay, so here's the thing. I usually make a bunch of notes. And I have some notes that I wrote down while I was watching the movie. But um, I usually go back and kind of construct some of my ideas so that I come prepared. Um, I had some conversations. I have lots of, like, bullets in my brain that I want to hit. But uh, I didn't prepare a list of notes because I was thinking, you know, there's going to be three of us. It's maybe gonna get heated, and uh, it, it may, I need to. It may get I heated. need to be able to shoot from the hip, so I don't want to be tied <laughs> down by notes. So what I guess I'm saying is, I think I have the upper hand because <laughs> he brought notes. Because he brought notes, and so well, he will I feel chained to them. I have to say, <laughs> this, is, I, this is my way of turning around my insecurity. Yeah. <laughs> I'm embarrassed about not having notes, <laughs> so this is. Uh, uh, I, yeah. I have to say, I've spoken to both of you uh, separately about this movie. Oh man, um, I actually saw this movie. You really are the mediator with, here. Uh, with Dixon, um, and let, let's. Uh, I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna give a little bit. A little bit of history. Uh, Jordan, I think liked it. I think that you were you left very impressed with the movie. Dixon, on the other hand, uh, uh, okay. Uh, I don't know if I should say this. I'll say it. I'll say, say it. it. It's too late. Um, it's always too late. Yeah, it's always too late. Uh, <laughs> the second the first credit popped up, you gave the middle finger. Did you notice that you did that? Did you uh, remember doing that? Uh, allow me to correct you. Uh, I gave two middle fingers. Uh, I shot the bird. Hey, this on, is on, a family yeah, episode, Dixon. Right. <laughs> uh, you know, it's. Uh, I, 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 no, I will say that uh, CG and I, we went to a uh, employee screening uh, of this. We were both uh, employees of uh, DC. And I should also say right off the bat, 
uh, that our views do not reflect the views of DC Comics or Warner Brothers or any of its millions of subsidiaries throughout the known and unknown universe. Uh, yeah. This is uh, my opinion on it is just merely my own. Thank you for uh, protecting us against a lawsuit for at least one more week. <laughs> yes. I, uh, I'm protecting myself against unemployment uh, yes. for, for this. And I, and, and I also have to say that we, uh, things we have to specify, I'll tell you what, that we are uh, employees of DC Universe, the streaming service specifically, uh, and that, yes, our opinions are separate from the studio. I think. I think that covers it. I think that covers yes. it. If it does, so. we apologize and we will ad addendum whatever. Yes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Uh, so anyway, give Dixon, give us your initial thoughts. Just like, I guess, I guess mm. lay down your argument. I'm just going to sit in between. I'm going to watch mommy and daddy fight. I, and I know just... mommy and daddy is right. This is, this is like the Kramer versus Kramer of comic book <laughs> movies. And we're, we're fighting for custody of our, our cute little son, CJ. Um, <laughs> I was, uh, you know, I came to the, you know, I was nervous about the movie uh, because, uh, number one, because of the director. The director, Todd Phillips, uh, is a director that has not done stuff that I particularly care for. He did the, the Hangover series. He did Due Date. Uh, he did Old School. And they, and his movies kind of uh, go in range of, oh, I guess that was amusing too. That was a bad movie in, in my <laughs> mind. So it, it did not kind of fill me with hope. Uh, and then as we got closer to the movie, uh, you know, there were, uh, you know, just more and more news articles about uh, how it might kind of drum up the uh, bad elements of our society. You know, that uh, I think the military put out notices, you know, to be on guard uh, during screenings of this, uh, tons of movie theaters. I don't know how was it at yours. Uh, Jordan, at your theater, but if there were any armed guards there or any policemen. I did not notice. I tend to be fairly unobservant, mm -hmm. but I think I would have noticed armed guards. I, well, I didn't. I did go to the theater uh, to see a different movie the weekend that it came out, and there was uh, a, a cop standing at the end. I also went Saturday night. So I didn't go to the opening night, mm. and that mm. may have that may have made a difference. Yeah, anyway, sure. continue. Sure. And I definitely do want to say that is one thing you want to hear from a critic is that I tend not to be too observant <laughs> no. during a. I, during I'm very focused on mm. the movie. Mm. I'm not focused on my surroundings. Yeah. <laughs> it so, actually uh, helps me become more focused. Yeah. On so yeah, so I was generally sort of uh, nervous about it, but I wanted to go in uh, to it with an open mind, uh, mostly if not entirely because uh, Joaquin Phoenix is in it. I think Joaquin Phoenix is. An excellent actor, probably uh, one of the best ones that we have working right now. Uh, uh, from like her to you are never really here to all, a bunch of different movies. So if I was excited at all about it or uh, optimistic at all about it, it was because of him. And then you know the movie just kind of unraveled and it went from okay to bad to worse to really a, a movie in my mind that I found kind of despicable. Despicable. Ooh, despicable is a good word. Yeah, it's a yeah. good first shot across yeah. the bow. I uh, so I I'll give I'll give where I landed with it. Uh, immediately leaving the theater, I think I was pretty much right on board with Dixon. As far as uh, I was I was legitimately upset about it. I was um, it like threw me in a funk for a long time because I because I. Like I, I, I genuinely believe in the power of storytelling. And that's like that passion about stories is what brought me to LA and got me through the tough times of LA and got me to where I am. That's the driving factor. And I feel like this movie uh, took that power 
and then used it for something that our society does not need. That's where I landed leaving the theater. Then I talked to Jordan, mm -hmm. and now I don't know what to think. <laughs> Uh, so that's where so I land. Mm -hmm. Jordan, go ahead. Okay, well, before I talk about... Well, I feel like my, my opinion of this movie has already been sort of expressed by CJ to some degree. But um, I... Or at least hinted at. Um, I, I, I have complicated feelings about this movie. But uh, I will say, in the interest of giving just a, a couple of notes of spoiler-free descriptions, um, I think probably... This is one of the bigger movies that's opened in a while that we've covered on the show. So I think that uh, there's a good chance a lot of our audience has already seen it by the time they're listening to this episode. But in case you haven't seen it, um, I want to say, uh, without even qualifying, without even putting a positive or negative spin on the thing, basically just say, uh, go in with expectations, go in with the right expectations. And those expectations should not be for a comic book movie that is recognizable as a comic book movie. Oh, yeah, definitely not. This is not, this is not anything like comic book movies that people have seen. It really isn't. Um, and, I mean, like, really isn't. And so I think that that is really important for people who are going to see it to have some kind of experience. I don't presume, Dixon, that you went in expecting Spider-Man. Um, but uh, I think a lot of people probably were expecting something slightly different than what than what happened. And I was fortunate enough to he have heard a little bit of buzz um, in, in advance of seeing it. So I feel like my expectations were sort of sort of appropriately set. Um, anyway, so with that all said, my reaction to it was uh, I was fairly overwhelmed by it. I thought that it was um, there were some flaws that we can discuss um, in terms of like just craftsmanship um, and writing. But in general, I found it to be an incredibly compelling narrative with an outstanding sort of earth-shattering performance from Joaquin Phoenix. And I left feeling like it was one of the more important movies that has come out this year. Um, and I say that primarily because of its size, because of how many people have seen it. Not because... Uh, objectively, it is a movie that is that stands tall above all other movies, but rather it's the kind of movie that $100 million worth of people don't normally see on an opening weekend. And that is very interesting to me, and I, that will be the primary thing that I'm interested in talking about today with the two of you. So uh, I did like it. I liked it quite a bit. Um, I, it, I didn't feel good after it, but I was very, very impressed. And... Uh, and could not stop thinking about it and and desperately want to talk to pretty much everybody about it which to me uh is uh, those are those are important hallmarks of a good film so anyway all right so let's uh let's let's spoil it moving forward spoiler warning moving forward yeah spoiler warning this is not one um, that we want to spend a lot of time trying to yeah not um, spoil so uh, so as far as the as far as the the nerd out section of this um Joaquin, Joaquin Phoenix. Phoenix. I, I think we can all we can agree, agree that. that. I think that's that's like the My one. Like, that's gosh. our Switzerland where we can all uh, come yeah. in together <laughs> and break Neutral bread. territory. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. And to I mean to to use one of uh, nerd critics tropes, Joaquin Phoenix colon yum. <laughs> uh, not physically because he he looks like uh, a a haunted skeleton. Uh, <laughs> he, uh, he's, he's very ghoulish. He's very movie. ghoulish. He's he, he, like his his eyes are sunken. He has it looks like he gave himself like 18 extra vertebrae uh sometimes from just the way like he like contorts and contorts he has himself. Yeah. the strangest postures in this movie. It's like he gave himself a sort of a half hunchback yeah. for like anyway. Yeah. Uh, and so 
by far, uh, if you want to see the movie, you feel like you need to see the movie, that is the reason to go see it. Yeah. He is uh, superlative in every single way uh, that can be said because he is a superlative actor. I don't think, I think uh, like uh, a few actors like him, uh, he's incapable, I think, of giving a bad performance. I don't, I don't think that yeah. he can uh, either allows himself to phone it in or even knows how to phone it in. Uh, and so... 100% Walking Phoenix is the reason to see this movie. Uh, there was, uh, if you listen to our Dark Knight episode, um, Jordan asked a series of questions, one of which was, is Heath Ledger the best Joker? And my response, because at the time I had seen the Joker, uh, my response was no comment. And it's purely because I don't know if Heath Ledger, like it's a Heath Ledger or Joaquin Phoenix kind of toss up. Well, I'd and, like to, yeah, because we're talking phenomenal. about, we're talking about, um, uh, seminal Joker performances: um, Jack Nicholson, Heath Ledger, Joaquin Phoenix. I think each each actor turned in a character that was so universally different from the other that I think they're not comparable. Mm-hmm. I don't think that I would be comfortable in saying that Heath Ledger's performance was better than Jack Nicholson's because it was just an in- entirely categorically different character. Yeah, yeah. And the same thing with Joaquin Phoenix. Like, <clears throat> to my mind, these are not competitive. They are t- so totally different. I, you know, I would agree with that insofar as uh, it, this, we might want to come back to this at some point. But to me, at the end of the movie, it, it almost didn't feel like he was playing the Joker. Uh, exactly, it's and, a different, uh, and it's a different which character. is both uh, both a compliment and uh, <coughs> and a denigration uh, of the movie. It, because you know, if you took away, like if you went and, and did a kind of like a find and replace for, let's say, Thomas Wayne. Uh, and and Gotham City, and but uh, left the rest of the movie alone. Uh, it would still more or less play exactly the same. So uh, so it, <laughs> it uh, you know it's uh, short answer. Heath Ledger's a better Joker. I, 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 you know pretty much everyone has played it at least to my mind. But like I, I think you have to put like uh, Joaquin in like this weird kind of separate place. Yeah, uh, because it, he's not really playing the Joker. The Joker. He's yeah, play, he's, yeah, yeah. There, there's a different there's a different. He's story playing a very angry uh, and confused man. I'm probably jumping to this way too early, but one of the things that bothered me about the movie was the tie-ins to the actual Batman story, which I like philosophically, but felt almost out of place because I'm like, oh, I recognize these call-outs from from a different universe of movies that yeah. has nothing to do with what I'm watching now, sort yeah. of. Yeah, I mean, if I mean the, it's so difficult because there's a there's a significant fanboy in me that looks at that and is like, no, no, you can't do that. Um, but like, I understand why they did that. But it is the, the something that is I think significant to the origin of Batman is that the guy named Joe Chill who they gave him the first name Joe because he's supposed to be just kind of your average, average Joe. Joe he's supposed to be anybody uh, who was just down on his luck and found himself in a situation in, in an alley that kind of got out of hand. And Batman, who spent his entire childhood and some of his adult life looking for revenge against this mass killer... Uh, he then runs into this average Joe and he realizes that like that that it's a purely situational and it's not this 
this huge villain big moment that killed his parents. It was just like a guy that was down on his luck in the city of Gotham. And so he then sets his sights on fixing the city of Gotham, right? But they changed that, and I get why they changed that. Uh, and I was upset when I left the theater because I didn't want them to change that. But there was this idea, this fan theory in this uh, interview with the director where there was the uh, the idea thrown out there that maybe Joaquin Phoenix's Joker isn't the Joker that fights Batman all the time, but he was the inspiration for the Joker sure. that later comes. Sure. And if, if they go uh, there, ultimate, sure. Ultimately, it all depends. It just doesn't matter. It does it, though. It, no, it doesn't. It, but it doesn't because even I mean, especially I can, in the, it can in be the, more forgiving in if the it universe, is that way. In the universe of comic books, everything is revisionist history. When they first wrote Batman's origin story, did they like think out all the ideas of who this villain was and and how how Batman's parents? No, it was just some guy. They, his parents got mugged and killed, and that's why Batman. And then later on, and somebody and then somebody came along and said, yeah, "What if? What if the guy who killed his parents is just some schmuck who was ba- down on his luck, and he was that was the worst day of his life too?" You know, like that's not something that they like you to be precious with the origin stories of these characters is just not reasonable because so many things. I mean, I'm not. I I realize that I don't have the right to say any of this because I'm not a huge comic book fan. But as far as I understand, comic books. It changes all the way down. It, you, you pick it, it you cherry I, pick the ones you like. I have to agree. Uh, I think we're right to gang up on our uh, our, <laughs> po- our podcast son. Uh, and let's I, let's hit it. Let's yeah. <laughs> it's the only way he'll learn, frankly. Uh, but no, I, I agree. It uh, the the point of comics is that they, they change uh, so much and they're so amorphous and they always kind of reflect uh, the zeitgeist of the times. You know, it's of, of what is is happening now. Uh, so. That, but you was, don't you don't think that that fundamentally changes the character of Batman, though. Uh, but the thing is, I, I I don't know if we're ever going to live in that world uh, yeah. of, of Joker where there is Batman, Again, that, yeah. and that's why I honestly just just now kind of just uh, you know listening to Jordan speak, I I I wish that they had just removed all instances of Gotham and Bruce and Bruce Wayne mm-hmm. and Thomas Wayne. However. To defend the point mm. that I just attacked, uh-huh. <laughs> what um, a tricky one. <laughs> um, I actually think it's way more so. So yes, if if I'm a kind of like you know looking down my nose film critic dude going into a screening at a festival of this movie Joker, whatever that has nothing to do with Gotham City and whatever whatever, then yeah, please don't show me. Tiny Bruce Wayne and his like rich dad. Like I, I don't, I don't care about that. What I care about is the narrative that I'm un, that that's unfolding. However, that's not what this movie is. This movie is essentially uh, a very carefully written letter to a huge audience. And in and in this in this piece of media are references to things that we are so deeply familiar with that you never even need to hear the word Batman to know everything that's happening. Which is really powerful because it's it's shorthand for a lot of things that we're very familiar with. Bruce Wayne is super mega crazy wealthy. His parents are from an upper crust of society. Like the, those things, like we get. And what it forces us to do is essentially take a different lens. It's not permanent necessarily. Doesn't necessarily fit into whatever sort of um, canon of comic book lore you want to sort of choose for your bedrock of appreciation, but it does uh, allow you to at least briefly take a lens at that archetypal character 
and look at it from a different angle because it's not it, it's saying hey what if what if uh all of the good guys in the batman story and all of the bad guys didn't just sort of neatly fit into the good and bad roles like what if thomas wayne wasn't this perfect sort of you know like pillar of Gotham City who was who if he had just been allowed to live could have fixed everything what if he was just another rich guy who didn't understand the problems the city was having and that is a really interesting idea you don't have to live there for all of your experience of Batman stories but it's an it is an important idea and I think that's one that uh, this movie cares very deeply about mm. he's 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 very persuasive <laughs> I disagree. <laughs> oh, thank goodness. Uh, no, well, I mean, you mentioned that, and it, uh, and we also talked about the uh, interview that the director, Todd Phillips, gave. Uh, he uh, gave another interview, I believe it was with uh, Vanity Fair, where he was talking about the inception of this movie uh, and, and trying to convince uh, Joaquin Phoenix to do it. And so, like, w- w- what if we just, we like, we sneak in, you know, this uh, this movie, you know, about kind of, like, the insanity of the downtrodden and how, and how you can just be, like, pushed and pushed and pushed until you finally snap. Uh, but we, we do it under the rubric of, you know, of comic books. Uh, so, I mean, it, it, that that was, you know, his idea, and it was successful. It made, you know, an ungodly amount of money this weekend. <laughs> and to your point, right, more money than it would have made if, you know, if the movie uh, was not called Joker, if it was just called Fleck, you know. Uh, which, by the way, I, was I the only one who found it weird that his, his name, Arthur Fleck, is the, uh, is the Joker's name, is the, is the name of the character played by Joaquin Phoenix. His character's name is A... Fleck. Uh, it just, it, no. but it, it, it felt like a weird. There it is. There it is. <laughs> and, well, I'm smiling. I, the, the, I didn't. I didn't notice that. I, 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 I thought it was like it, he's it, a fleck. Me, yeah. Well, it, it felt to me like a weird pun that because well, Ben Affleck. I mean, yeah. I mean, that is that is that is, is that purpose, comic. Is that's it? comic books through and through. Well, is it is it, is it Aff, So is it so so I. Sorry, didn't understand when I was smiling so big. Didn't understand Affleck. Didn't understand that. That's fantastic. <laughs> what I did, what I, what I was thinking of is just like a, a like a, like a fleck like a of fleck. a person. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, yeah. I, and I'm sure that's the, uh, the, 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 the secondary. <laughs> but, um, also but also Affleck. But also Ben Affleck. <laughs> the dad Joker in me. It is. <laughs> he is no, the dad. Is, he is, is no. the dad Joker. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> this, this went in a direction I did not expect. It. Uh, we're not coming out of this hole, guys. I'm yeah. sorry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I feel like you were saying something. No, uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Before, we, <laughs> yeah, we got we, we got lost in puns on, on, uh, on a dad joke cul-de-sac there. <laughs> uh, no, I, it's, it, it's the concept of wanting to do a quote-unquote serious movie under uh, you know under sort of like a thin sheen of comic book paint uh, yeah. to kind of like sneak it in there. Uh, I would say to me, and I know this is where we're, we're going to violently disagree. Uh, uh, this our, our moment, of, yeah, our moment of conversion is over. Now we're retreating to our corners. Uh, I did not find this movie uh, particularly deep or, or insightful. Uh, and if anything, I'd say there are a lot of problems I had with the, the movie, but the chief one amongst them it was that it was just sloppily made, and its point uh, in my eyes was was muddled to the point of almost uh, incoherence uh, uh, in terms of what I wanted to say about uh, you know, Arthur Fleck, about uh, about how uh, he or any person can be pushed so far until he finally snaps, uh, and you know his, his place in the world and the, and the role of violence in that. Uh, there were a bunch of different kind of like ideas and themes that were kind of floating around the movie with the idea of there are a lot of sort of like uh, 
Occupy Wall Street type of themes or like resist type of things, but it all just kind of never cohered into anything uh, solid and tangible for me. Okay. Um, so I'm going to agree with you. Maybe, maybe I think I'm going to surprise you and agree with you about something that you don't expect me to agree with you about. But I'm going to agree with you that it was not particularly deep or uh, fresh in exploring some of the themes that it was interested in. I agree. Um, the reason that I think it's so cool is because it's been seen by so many people. It's like it's like seeing it like a like a like a like a half fresh kind of half cliched heavy handed art house movie suddenly make a hundred million dollars over the weekend. Like that's why it's really cool to me. Um, and I and I but I'm going to disagree in 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 the sense that it didn't. I don't think that it muddled its themes. I think it was I think it was way way heavy handed. It was saying like one thing over and over and over again, which is like. Um, if you don't take care of people who are oppressed and under underprivileged, then they'll rise up and kill you. Like that was the that was the theme. The theme was that uh, that we that that we are responsible for people like Joker happening. That's what that like. And it was so it was it was if I if I had one complaint against the movie, it would be that it was way too heavy handed. And I would love I would love for it to have been a little a little bit more subtle, a little bit more nuanced in the way that it treated the kind of, especially some of the moments of dialogue. And I, like, I'm going to two things. I'm going to point to just two examples. One, the first scene of the movie when he's run down by a group of kids who's, who like beat him with his own sign, which you see in the preview and then kick him, you know, half to death in an alley saying things like beat him up. Yeah. Kick him harder. Take his stuff. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then like run off and you're, and I was like, oh no, is that what this movie is? <laughs> um, because it was so, it was like so thick. And, um, uh, and, and then, so, so there's that. And then toward the end, spoilers, certainly spoiler here, when he shoots, uh, uh, Harvey, no, what's his name? Robert De, Niro. De Niro's character's name. Uh, Murphy. Murphy. Mur Murphy? Murray. Yeah, that's right. Murray. 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 Yeah. Murray something. Anyway, um, Murray Franklin. Uh, when he shoots Murray Franklin, he's got this big speech about how, you know, blah, 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 blah. And the thing that I actually loved most about the movie is that even though he's giving this heavy-handed speech, which I didn't love that it was in the movie, I did love that it was communicating um, the, sort of an internal inconsistency within Joker himself. He becomes an incredibly unreliable character in terms of his own... So. You, you don't get to, and this is where I think this the sort of, uh, I think this is where the movie redeems itself. You don't really get to sympathize with Joker. And I think the reason people were so scared about what this movie was going to do and how it was going to, you know, inspire people to commit violence against whatever is because if you watch The Dark Knight, it's hard not to be impressed and compelled to some degree by the Joker. Heath Ledger's Joker is a magnetic character. He's always, he always seems to be right and he always seems to be in power. Um, Arthur Fleck slash Joker, um, Joaquin's version, is a disaster, pitiful human who, uh, who even in his triumph is, is uh, uh, sort of despicable, you know? Like he goes into the thing with the intention of killing himself in front of everybody, which you're like, oh, that's, mm -hmm. a, that's interesting. And then you think, I wonder if he's going to do it. So there's this great tension. Is he going to kill himself in front of everybody? But then he decides, no, I'll kill everybody else. And you think, okay, now I know who you are. You're, you are just an entirely broken human being 
with nothing to offer the world except chaos and disaster and like and sadness. Anyway, I mean, I agree with that uh, <laughs> certainly, uh, but I don't think that that's what that's how the movie uh, posits him. I think that how do you? Or, I think well, I think part, one of my big problems with the movie is that he, he, they treat him as a very sympathetic character, and that the the story you know that we're given is you know his origin, but his his eventual triumph. Uh, and to me, the despicable part for me comes in was that th- there are going to, I think uh, going to be a lot of uh, what's, I'm trying to think of a, a, a good way to say it, but just like a lot of other despicable people uh, in real life that will uh, see him <clears throat> and identify with him and identify with this movie because if you know if you want to chart you know his kind of growth as a character in there, you know he, he starts off you know he's you know he's lied to by his parents you know mm. he is ridiculed by his coworkers he is mocked by the media in, in the form of uh, Robert De Niro's character uh, and he's just generally sort of either forgotten by or actively spat on by the rest of society. Mm-hmm. And then it is only through being completely broken as a person and then emerging from the other side as this person who is decisive and takes action, you know, and fights back that he gets everything that he wanted. You know, he gets the attention mm-hmm. and the acclaim. And the end of the movie, I think the true sort of philosophical and story climax of the movie is him standing triumphant you know, on the cop car. Oh, of course. Uh, yeah. Where he's being, uh, you know, his, where there's an out-of-control mob, uh, a riot happening around him, and they are, are all, you know, at his beck and call. They, you know, they are calling for him. And he, you know, he stretches his arms out, and he is triumphant. And, and there's the last two minutes of the movie where he's like, he's been captured, he's in Arkham or wherever, and he's being talked to by, his, uh, by another psychiatrist. But that, I think, is the real sort of uh, climax of the movie, where he gets everything that he wanted. And I think a lot of people uh, are going to, are, that's what they're going to take away from, from it, is that they, uh, they like Arthur Fleck, uh, are treated like scum by the universe. And all they have to do is fight back and regain their energy, regain their machismo, regain their, you know, whatever... And they too will will get the acclaim that they've uh, that they're so hungry for. Yeah, and so I am gonna I'm gonna take Dixon's side on this one, where I think that the movie was absolutely supposed to be sympathetic towards Arthur Fleck, and I think it worked in that way because we were uh, like I, I know that I felt a little bit heartbroken when I realized spoilers that uh, that the Sophie the Zazie Beats character was not actually his girlfriend that it was all in his head. I, in that moment, I felt bad for him. So I know that I was feeling for him and, uh, there is a bit of a, 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 uh, an equation of, uh, he is this way. He wants this thing, do these actions, obtain that thing. And that's, and and that's exactly what it is where it's, where it's, uh, what'd you say? Despicable. Despicable, Is that the word where it's despicable is that, is that the actions are, killing people, violence, causing riots. And I think that the reason specifically in the climate that we are in right now, it is uh, potentially dangerous and a little bit scary is that this movie specifically uh, targets, well, rich people and uh, probably the most hated person uh, in our country right now is a pretty rich dude. Uh, in a place of power, and so, and and it's kind of showing. Uh, I, I would, I would just, just to, just to uh, broaden your point. 
I'd say all of the most hated people in our country sure. tend to be rich. Yeah, tend to be rich. Yes. Um, and it, and this movie paints like that was that was one of the things that was frustrating me the most about this movie is that there was not a single wealthy person that was good to him. Mm-hmm. Like it was just like rich, bad, poor, generally okay. Like the the rich dudes on the subway, Thomas Wayne. Uh, the uh, uh, Murray Franklin, they all treated him terribly. And so that's why I was so upset with this movie was that it uh, it painted a very specific picture that seemed to reflect our society and it showed that violence and riots were the way to get what you want if you were like Joker. Yeah, sure. Uh, I'm not going to disagree with any of that, but what I will disagree with is that Joker is a sympathetic character. I'm disagreeing with that. I think that um, I think that to uh, okay, let's let me let me take a step back and ask both of you a question. Did you feel sympathetic with Joker? I think you were meant to uh, stop. Did you <laughs> feel sympathetic? Yeah, I'm a with Joker. I feel sympathy for no one except for uh, cute dogs. Okay, <laughs> I'll take the answer. No, CJ. Did you feel I, sympathetic I, to Joker I, at times? Especially, the movie no, no. At the end. By at the, the end. end. Yeah. Like as the credits are credits are rolling, are you feeling sympathy or triumph for the Joker? Uh, no. What both of you are doing <laughs> is assuming what other people, people who you have already categorized, but, are going to how they're going to respond to this movie. And my argument is that this movie wasn't built for them, and there are plenty of examples of people killing people to get what they want, like fame and attention and glory. That's why people do that stuff. So I don't think that it's fair to lay blame for that kind of inspiration on movies. Instead, I think what this movie is trying to do is help people understand why people do that. So, like, we, I mean, we, when we do, we get it sort of, like, like uh, academically, right? Like, oh, yeah, yeah, people are underserved, they, they feel whatever, entitled, blah, blah, blah. And it's easy to sort of just, like, categorize. Like, you use the words, uh, like, you, you fear what sort of, despicable people will do when they see this movie. But I think that's that's the exact wrong way to watch this movie. First of all, uh, there haven't been any mass shootings it, at it's theaters true. the way true. people expected there to be. Yeah. Um, and the, the fact that, like, there was one for Dark Knight Rises, I think proves my point that Heath Ledger was a way more compelling and sympathetic <laughs> character. Um, and honestly, I don't, I don't think that this movie is going to... And, and so I, I'm tempted to say it doesn't matter. And I think on some level it doesn't. Because what matters most is that everybody who isn't going to go on a mass shooting to get what they want needs to wake up to the situation that we're actually in, mm. which is that people are doing mass shootings to get what they want. And that, like, so it's not that we've, you know, created an environment. Uh, it, I'm saying, I'm sorry. It's that we've we we are on our way to creating an environment that mirrors the one in the movie. And I would also add or argue that the 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 um, the 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 city or Gotham, as the, this movie as Joker depicts it, isn't necessarily as bad as we are yet. But I think that that's like our trajectory, right? Like classism is kind of big right now. Like, are you a person that hates most rich people? Well, maybe go watch Joker and see where that goes, you know? Are you a rich person who sort of thinks that most poor people are just lazy? Maybe go watch Joker and see how that goes. Mm. That's that's my mm. argument for the that's my biggest argument for this movie is that it's a cautionary tale. It's somewhat clumsily built here and there, but mostly I think really effective. 
There are few images I think as compelling and horrific as Joker dancing on the hood of a cop car while everyone riots around him. I think that's an incredibly compelling image, and I also don't think it's compelling the way that Heath Ledger's Joker was compelling in The Dark Knight. Uh, just to go back to the idea of, of sympathy, uh, Ed, to just to bolster my point a little bit, I think the reason why it does uh, want you to sympathize with the Joker, uh, if not in the way that you know, it, you know, it wants you to go out and you know start a riot, you know, or some some sort of grassroots movement against the the one percent, uh, is that it wants you to sympathize with the Joker because it never shows you, it never shows him doing anything completely irredeemable. That all of his deaths that we see are are based in some type of reasoning. Yeah. You know, we're like, oh, I can see, like, you know, you have like the Wall Street Bros, like they were harassing that woman, and they work on Wall Street. That's understandable enough. Uh, uh, <laughs> with uh, you know, with his mom, with a coworker who you know uh, who ridiculed him and was going to try to like pop the gun off, gun off of him, off everyone. There is a sort of an overarching reason, uh, if not excusing it, then like, oh, okay. But then for the the ones that that there would be no excuse for, the movie shies away. Uh, and what I'm thinking of specifically is Zazie Betts' character, mm-hmm. uh, who he fantasizes this whole relationship with, even though I think if they exchange any words, there's probably no more than two or three. Uh, th- then once uh, he, he, you know, we go through this whole uh, kind of charade of him, you know, having a relationship, going on dates, whatever, and then he... He goes to her apartment, and then she's like, who are you? And then we realize he's fantasized the whole thing. Next thing we see, he leaves her apartment. She and her daughter are most likely dead, uh, but they don't show us that because they know that that is a point that we could not stomach as watchers, that we could no longer sympathize with him. And I think that if the movie wanted us, if they didn't want us to sympathize they would have shown it. It just would have been an, another wrong in his ladder towards insanity. And, and So I think we're using the word sympathy in two different ways. I think you're right. I, I agree. They did. Mm-hmm. There was some shying away. Well, and then there was even an even more blatant moment when um, when uh, his... Oh, the little person? When his, yeah, when the little person was trying to leave. And I mean, mm-hmm. that scene would, I thought was... So intense. So good. Um, so that, good. I, that was, I think, the. It was so darkly comic that it, that I assume that someone else other than Todd Phillips wrote it because <laughs> because if, if you haven't seen the movie, it's it, it's uh, he uh, two of his coworkers come at the at the clown factory at, at which he used to work. Uh, one of them is a little person. He kills the the bigger uh, mean one. He lets the, the little one live uh, because he says he's always been nice to him. And the little person tries to leave the apartment, cannot reach. Uh, the, chain the, the chain up top, and it's so like it, it, it's just like this moment so I'm trying sad. to reach. So he has to ask Joker, <laughs> yeah. covered in the blood of his friend, yeah. to unlock the door for him. Yeah. It is absolutely perfect. That scene, I think, proves your point even better than the Zazzy Beats scene, which I think actually, um, I actually find the mystery fairly compelling. I think that it keeps us sort of un. Uh, it keeps us sort of off balance about who he really is, and I think that's pretty important um but like i do i see your point and i'm I'm willing to concede it that there is a an effort by the filmmakers to 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 um position him as a sympathetic character um and especially in the scene where he lets the little person go we think oh okay good so he's not like a total monster here's here's where i'm going to uh what i mean when i say i think we mean different things about sympathizing is that there is a sympathy that comes from trying to feel um, literal sympathy, like, oh, I, I, I can understand your position, and I pr- appreciate 
where you're coming from and why you're doing what you're doing, even though I think it's terrible. Like I, I can, I, I'm not essentially, I'm not categorizing you as a monster that can be dismissed. And I think that's the crucial point here. Like I would, I would also disagree. I don't know that, I don't know that he, that he killed that mother and her uh, child because, uh, because he didn't kill anybody else that hadn't done something to him in some way. And so I'm not saying that he didn't, but I think it's pretty, it's, it's like, it would be, it seems like a farther reach to say that he did than to say that he didn't. So anyway, um, but, but the idea of sympathy being one of, uh, there's the difference between understanding and respecting. So, um, to understand where he's coming from and why he's doing what he's doing, um, is different than feeling like it's somehow earned or okay. And, like, I know that, uh, yes, all the people who he killed were, like, bad people and had done bad things to him. But also, he goes on to the talk show and starts owning the killing of those Wall Street people as though he had, like, done it out of some heroic gesture. Because he had recontextualized himself in his own mind as this sort of hero of his own life. And, like, that, to me, was the sort of biggest tell about who Joker really is who is just a sad, small, pathetic man who, uh, who has made nothing but bad decisions because nothing but bad things have been done to him. And here, finally, by this caprice of hideous fate, he has murdered three people and now thinks, oh, so I must be, I must be, I must know something important or good. And then goes out and decides not to kill himself, but to kill the talk show host and then to become the face of this, this revolution because... Because that's what he wanted. And to me, that that makes him the less sympathetic in terms of respect or uh, allowance than than any other sort of you know rendition of him I could think of. Uh, and it also, but also still, I can't just dismiss him as a monster, which is I think what would happen if you watched him kill a mother and her child, right? Like you'd be like, oh well, everything he does from this point forward, like I know what I'm watching. I'm watching an inhuman. <laughs> monster. So 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 what you're saying is that uh the the the, the character of Joker takes uh under, it, you understand him but you don't respect him. You understand him but you don't you can't condone him. Okay. So there's a huge difference between uh representation and uh, advocacy, right? Yeah. You when you advocate something, you're trying to inspire like support. Like I feel good about what you're doing. Yeah. And therefore, I will feel good about other people who do these things or even myself maybe want to do them. Yeah. That's advocacy. Representation is a totally different thing. And I think what this movie did amazingly amazingly well was representation. Representing, like, I mean, honestly, take any school shooter or mall shooter or whatever, any, like, just, just, like, freaking benighted horrible soul who does these crappy things and the easiest thing to do is to say well that person is a monster but what this movie is doing is saying maybe that person is your crappy neighbor who just like is stupid and doesn't make any good decisions and was abused as a kid and hates everybody and eventually is going to do something horrible because he just in his own clouded, benighted brain, can't even understand a world in which he doesn't do that. And so that, to, so to me, I see, I see Joker as a deeply sympathetic character in terms of being 
understandably human yeah. beyond, like, the monstrous so, sort of so, so I know, okay, so when I was talking to you about it uh, the other day, the most compelling argument that you made was this idea that it was sharing the perspective and, and it's a, it's an important conversation starter for those that are downtrodden and being like, oh, I don't want to become that. And then those that are rich looking down on people saying, oh, I don't want that to happen. And then they kind of converge and there's an interesting conversation that happens. Um, but I but I just, I think that, and, I, and I'm trying to give it the benefit of the doubt, but I, I do think that there is maybe some condoning of the behavior purely because you asked me if I was sympathetic towards Joker at the end. The answer was no, but, I, but there's, I think, I think, I don't know. But my favorite movie is Sing Street, right? It's it's a movie about a kid that's the youngest of three kids whose parents gets, get divorced. He meets a girl. That girl inspires him to go after his dream. Guess what? I'm the youngest of three. My parents got divorced. I met a girl who inspired me to go after my dream, right? So it's my favorite movie because it lands so specifically to me. I show that movie to my 69-year-old father-in-law couldn't be more bored out of his mind. Did not sympathize with sympathize with that character at all. So no, I didn't sympathize with the Joker. But I'm also not downtrodden and hate the rich and you're, all of that. You're still you're you're still making the argument that like the wrong sort of person will be inspired by Joker. You That's don't what think that saying. they will though. I I'm saying that uh, maybe they would, but I don't, I don't think so. There's some reasons I don't think so, but, but I can't know because I'm not that person. Yeah. I've been very lucky in my life. I've had a lot of love. I've had a lot of love. And like, that's, it, it, that really is just comes down to luck. I luck of birth, uh, luck of circumstance. And so I don't know what it's like. I don't know what it's like to live without love. Yeah. So maybe a person who has grown up as downtrodden, as Arthur Fleck was. Maybe they see that movie and they feel inspired. But I don't think so. And and so, first of all, I want to say, if they do, I don't think it matters because I think there's plenty of inspiration for those kinds of people in the media. That's true. Mm. Uh, that part I, I do agree with. Well, uh, that's the hardest point I had to make, so <laughs> I'm done. No, I, I, because for, for that, uh, you know, at this point, it gets to this very kind of, like, squishy area where, you know, suddenly you become, like, Tipper Gore and you're arguing that dirty lyrics and violent video games are going to cause the next apocalypse, which... Simply isn't true. But what I think, uh, what I mean, and possibly what CJ means uh, as well, is that the point that we're at right now uh, in American history, uh, which is just real bad, just uh, just a, a dangerous bad time for so many uh, different groups uh, in America, it is perhaps not the best look uh, to make uh, a movie such as this and to take on such thorny subjects uh, with without having more care on it. And I will say that, to your point about representation and advocacy, I totally 100% agree that that merely showing it does not necessarily mean that you're advocating for it. I think where I'm coming from uh, for this movie is that it did not do a good job at that. And I think there are two movies I think you could point to uh, by two much better directors, uh, Fight Club by David Fincher and uh, Wolf of Wall Street by Martin Scorsese, that that are able to do that and are able to thread that very fine needle of uh, representing you know, some truly uh, abhorrent people without advocating for it. But oftentimes, for, in both of those cases, to, and this is to CJ's point, that they uh, are viewed by people who miss that point entirely. That uh, you know that there uh, are like weird like rebellion bros who look at Fight Club and what they take away from that 
is that, yeah, the only way to regain our, our manhood is to punch each other, missing the fact that it is a satire in that, that, that the, the movie and the book are making fun of people like that. And the same thing with Wolf of Wall Street, that uh, people will watch that and only come away and seeing, like, the glitz and the glamour and the tremendous amount of cocaine uh, <laughs> and not realizing that it is, in fact, you know, a critique of that. Uh, so... Uh, so I agree with the CJ and uh, so I, you're saying that Joker is not a critique of that. It yeah, is. Yeah, I, I, uh, I never kind of took that as a as a critique of it. Uh, it, it perhaps wanted to be it. I, I, I see, but I, here's here. So here's the second part of my point. Then is I think that it did. I think it was an effective critique of it because if you look at of, of this, of it. Okay, so. I think one of, one of my favorite properties that does the similar thing that we're talking about is Breaking Bad, right? Everybody loves Breaking Bad. Lots of people love Breaking Bad because Walter White is so cool. But also, that's not what that story is about at all. Yeah. Walter, White, Walter White is a tragic figure of, like, immense proportions who, by the end of the series, I would argue is, is almost totally unsympathetic if you're watching carefully. But still, so many people love that character because he's, seen, because he's so sympathetic. And I think that uh, that that's... That's really that's a I mean that's a whole other conversation of what that is but so I think that's a, a really good example of something that's very very effective and done very very well but was missed by so many people like a huge percentage of the audience of that show didn't like sort of missed the point of what it was really trying to do which sucks but do I wish that Breaking Bad was different no and I think with Joker I think less people are going to miss the point about what it is because there because there are certain hallmarks that make it very hard to accept Joker as a as a sort of uh, I gotta find it. we gotta figure out a different way to use the word so there's so they're sympathetic on on the the advocacy side or sympathetic on the whatever like if audience members become sympathetic to the point that they want that they that they feel good about what the, what the uh, character is doing which is I think what we're talking about versus sympathetic um, to the degree of just understanding why it, like so with Walter White's character you get from start to finish, exactly why he does every single thing he does. But you also see, if you're looking closely, the deep character flaws that blossomed into all of his later actions. And I think with Joker, you see, okay, he's coming from these circumstances. But also, he chose—he was—he wanted to be a comedian, you know? Like, he, he decided to go be a clown. Like, nobody forced him to do the things that he did. He just did them because he wanted to, because he was delusional. Like, he thought... I'm funny. I'm like I can make people laugh, and so therefore I must be a clown. And then he took a job as a part-time, like hired, like hired-out clown, which is probably one of the most ripe for abuse things you can do with your life. So essentially, he th because it's like you can see the sort of trajectory of his life where he gets to a point where he's you know making decisions that are bringing more abuse onto himself. You know going and hunting down Thomas Wayne? Like, how was that a good idea? You know? Like, everything that he's done, everything that he does, and, and I think some of the more compelling moments for me are seeing seeing the jokes being written down in his notebook. To me, was the most was the most powerful illustration of how desperately pitiful his character was. Like, pitiful in the sense of, like, oh, I, I want, I, I don't... It, that it's doing this thing that you're talking about, which is shining a light on what that kind of person is. So he's in the comedy club laughing at all the wrong moments, writing sexy is always funny, like just not getting anything. And then like you see from every, every single moment how unfunny, how uncool, how crappy he is at everything and to everyone. And then gets so resentful 
to, uh, toward everybody. I, there's I mean, there's I, very I, little there that feels... I agree, but then I think you're leaving off the, the second half to that equation, which is, and then he changes, and then he, he gets that acclaim, and then you know, through, uh, through violence, through the force of his own will, he gets what he was looking for. And I think that's that's the second half. And, and I think my problem with it is that, you know, uh, you know, we talked about Breaking Bad. We talked about Fight Club. In those movies, there is a, a pushback against the thing uh, that that we find uh, disreputable, that we that we find despicable, uh, and that against the thing that we thought was cool. Uh, and a lot of time, that that part is sort of alighted over against uh, like the, the bros who sort of like only want the trappings of it. So in uh, in Fight Club, you know, he literally has to kill part of himself, you know, in order to to rescue Marla. In Breaking Bad, he sacrifices himself to save Jesse at the end and and to give a little bit of his money to take care of his family, uh, and, and sacrifices him. To, I wanna I wanna. Um... But I don't think in in uh, in the Joker, I don't think we we see anything like that. I don't think we see any part of it where there's any pushback against that. I, 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 I guess what I'm saying is I don't think we need to. I don't think we need to. Because because you and I are sitting here and we get it. Like, we get it. To the point that I feel like it's too heavy-handed, right? It's like, well, yeah, it's this is terrible and wrong and horrible. Like, And, and so this, these moments of triumph, to me, feel like they're, they're, inverted, they're inverted triumphs. Like, we, we've seen somebody who has, who has essentially descended into hell and is now happy. Thank God I'm in hell. Like that's yeah. that's how it feels at the end, and it's really haunting. Which is why I think this this ends up being so powerful for me because we see triumph in hell. Like none of us want that. Like I don't I mean, want st- to. I never want to be dancing on a cop car, like with, surrounded by rioters because I've murdered some people. Like that sound. That so the, the 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 his version of victory is so horrific to me that like that's the point. That's the point. I mean, I, I agree. And I think on that point, we're kind of uh, in lockstep. But I think the movie doesn't necessarily posit it as a triumph in hell. I think it only posits it as a triumph. Mm. Full stop. I, I, and I think... And, and, and this, yeah, this just and might be kind of like we, a fundamental disagreement over which we cannot bridge. Uh, <laughs> no, I mean, and maybe. And I will maybe. say, I'm sorry to everyone who wanted me back. Uh, this is so much less funny. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry that... Uh, this well, is, we're, I mean, in fairness, uh, Spider-Man was something of a comedy. <laughs> yeah. And this was not <laughs> funny at all. Uh, yeah, it's true. It's true. Um, uh, I'm I, So I'm somewhat interested. I know that we're... Uh, we're nearly at an hour, but I'm somewhat interested in. So we were talking about if the movie was uh, was effective, uh, or what the intentions of it were. Uh, but I'm interesting. I'm interested in the conversations that we think it will start. Other than was this a good movie or not? <laughs> uh, but but potentially some of the conversations like uh, you know the 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 wealthy looking down on and you know is this it, are we going to end a, a cautionary tale essentially um, what are the conversations that we that we think this movie could start that are important I mean I think you mentioned a, an important one like um, it's it's a I think it is a, a great cautionary tale about classism um, and it's not even so one of the things that I liked about the sort of pastiche of world building um in this movie was that it's not that i mean some like yeah it it was heavy-handed sometimes in rich people being depicted as evil especially the wall streeters on the train all that crap um which was annoying um but also that 
that there was this great scene of just obliviousness as like he walks into the theater or they're all watching a Charlie Chaplin film and everyone's just like laughing and they're because they just don't they don't even see they don't even see the city you know and I think that's it's a to a large degree that's that's where we're, we're heading is just to not even see, we just don't even see you know I mean we live in a city with like isn't like seventy thousand homeless people or something, something like that? Yeah. And like we tr- we condition ourselves not to see people who are downtrodden, who are suffering, because it's hard, it's bleak, it sucks to be around people who are suffering, and so it's easier to sort of subconsciously ignore them. And I think that to to a large degree, we're shown in this movie. It was, it was about that kind of like this this chasmic divide between the rich and the poor yeah which um i don't once again i don't think that it's a, a literal mirror i think it it is as a cautionary tale a kind of like this is where things can end up and and have in some places i mean it's not that there are no cities that have had riots over class class wars like that happens frequently yeah, yeah. I, and i also wonder if there's a uh what the the good that i hope comes from this movie is a conversation about mental health and about like because uh, if if <laughs> so, I was uh, I was driving home from work one day last week, and I was stopped at a light. I wasn't even like the first car at the light. I was like four or five back, uh, and this woman comes up and like stands somewhat in front of me, maybe like five feet in front of me, but to the right, and just stands. Uh, obviously probably homeless very very um like rags for yeah yeah uh and and she just stood there and just stared at me just stared at me for an uncomfortable amount of time very obviously something was whether it was drugs whether it was mental health and uh just just honestly for probably two minutes just st- just stood there and stared at me, and I was so uncomfortable. And uh, and she wasn't in my way or anything. So the light goes green. I drive off. I then go in the left turn lane, and the the car that was behind me then is right next to me. And the driver of that car looks over at me and mouths, "What the hell was that?" Right? And 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 I and I just go, "I don't know." And then I drive off, never never considering. To help this woman, to roll down my window, to talk to her, to any of that, right? Never, like, it, like I wanted to distance myself so far from her because I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. I don't know how to help. I don't know if she's dangerous. I don't, you know, all yeah. of those questions. And um, she was I, piercing the comfort zone of anonymity. Yeah, and I, and I, and I, and it, like, I see, I do see this movie, and I think about that of like. What's going on in her head? I have no idea. Is there anything that I can do? Was there something that I could have done that could have been a lasting impression for good for her? I don't know. Hopefully this movie starts those conversations. Uh, My big takeaway from this movie is that uh, this movie poster is going to be on so many dorm room walls (laughs) for the next 15 to 25 years. So congratulations, old champs, (laughs) The Dark Knight and probably boiler room, uh, you've been dethroned. Um, <laughs> Can I ask you, D- yeah. Dixon, I'm curious. So one of the lines that I thought was most, I think one of the one of the smartest and most meaningful lines was actually not spoken but written, which was uh, in his notebook he wrote, the worst thing about mental uh, having uh, mental illness is that people expect you to behave as though you don't. Um, and I, I thought that was the, I thought that was one of the more important sort of like takeaways here, 
is that we do tend to expect people to s not have the problems that they have. <laughs> like, once I've diagnosed you, I'm, I'm all done. You're, we're good, right? You're good. Here's a pill. You're done. <laughs> we're all done. Um, and I think, like, that's... I think that's... So I'm curious. What did you think of that line? Was that seem effective to you, or did you... I mean, yeah, what was your reaction? Uh, for me, I, the the... Things that this movie wanted to say, I feel like the takes on it were were too glib. I think to really kind of inspire uh, any kind of uh, good kind of far-reaching conversation. And, and this isn't necessarily the first time that, I mean, in The Dark Knight Rises, they had a similar sort of like one percent sort of like Occupy Wall Street sure. type of uh, type of uh, theme to it. And much like I think this one, I think they were too muddled in that they. It wasn't quite clear on what they wanted to do, and I just kind of wonder sometimes if it's because to make a movie, particularly to make a movie on this scale, you can't be poor, uh, and that because you can't be poor, uh, you, you can't would, truly. You, know what it's you, like you're to you're be too poor. far distance. Even perhaps you used to be poor, uh, that you are too far distance to it to really kind of uh, appropriately sort of portray it and. Uh, and, and get that kind of portrayal in a sympathetic and an, an understandable way. Not uh, bringing in a homeless person to advise. Yeah, without, yeah, without bringing in, like, you know, Crazy Sally, who gave you the, you know, yeah. the stink eye <laughs> yeah. uh, on Lancashire or whatever. Yeah. Um, sorry for all my L.A. lingo, everyone that died. It was on Lancashire. That, 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 that was amazing. I got, I got a little tingle. Uh, <laughs> I really appreciated all those call-outs. Yeah. <laughs> so, it, so, it, I, it's, it, so stuff like mental illness, so stuff like uh, class inequality, so stuff like uh, like homelessness, all the other things that this uh, movie wants to bring up, I feel like is not done, I think, in a deft enough way to inspire kind of good and uh, meaningful kind of conversation, other than, of course, the conversation that we're currently having. <laughs> uh, this is the one... Uh, this, is, <laughs> this is the the one instance of a, of a good, beautiful well, conversation. Well, you, yeah. you know mm -hmm. everybody listens to this It's podcast. true, it's true. <laughs> um, so, this, this does air on ABC, NBC, CBS, yeah. and Fox on primetime. It doesn't even need to. Yeah. Everybody downloads and listens to it beforehand, but yeah, it goes up there. Um, I, uh, I think that... I don't think that this is necessarily on a level of like you mentioned Fight Club, and we did an episode on Fight, Fight Club recently, and and that is such an such an incredibly successful movie on so many levels and very internally consistent to like on, on an almost shocking degree. Um, and no, I don't think that this movie stands up in that in, uh, in quality uh, to that level. Um, and so I don't I, I don't want to predict that Joker will be hyper relevant even a year or two from now. I don't I don't know. Maybe it will, maybe it won't. Maybe it'll start a bunch of conversations, maybe it won't. But I will say that few movies at this scale in terms of box office success, I think cut closer to some of those problems than this movie does. And that's and that's that's the that's value. True. And I see. and you know if it gets people to kind of think about uh Issues like that, which are very serious, all, you know, all, all through the things that we talked about, then you know it, it is successful. I, I only can wish that there was a little more uh, art uh, and and skill behind uh, bringing up these depictions. Uh, I don't know. I, 
I wish that someone other than the uh, the director of Hangover 3 uh, kind of brought okay, up. Okay, actually, idea. I'm really glad you brought that yeah. up again because uh, I don't have much of a defense for the Hangover franchise. Uh, I never really mm-hmm. cared for them myself. I think I only saw the first one and... I, then you essentially saw all three. Uh, yeah, so I and I didn't love it. Uh, it was fine. Um, <clears throat> but I will also, I, I want to point out that one of the Hangover, Hangover franchise writers by the name of Craig Mazin was uh, yeah, Chernobyl. Yeah, yeah. hugely responsible for Chern- Chernobyl to the point of like it being an almost auteuristic project for him. So I think it's unfair to write off a director based on their past work. That's true. I, I, mean, think, that's, I think that's pretty unfair. I also would say that Joker is drastically unlike any of the other movies in his repertoire. So like whether or not, and I, I, I've done this many times myself where I say, you know, if I don't like a movie, and I look back at the director's previous work and I say, well, duh, you shouldn't have made this movie. But I, I think I'm being unfair and I think you're being unfair. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's very true. Uh, what's past isn't necessarily prologue. And uh, you're right, the, the, the guy who wrote Hangover 2 went on to uh, write this you know, incredible One issue. of the it, best yeah. miniseries that's come uh, out this year. But I would say that he he did that once he had that little bit of juice uh, and, and could make that, you know, that thing. Whereas... I think the Hangover came out in 2003. I want to say so. So, uh, so Todd Phillips has had, you know, the wherewithal to kind of do whatever he wanted for quite some time now, and what he wanted to do was make more Hangover movies, uh, and then Due Date and stuff like that. So it's true. Uh, we we shouldn't judge everyone um, by their worst mistakes, but I will judge you by uh, repeated mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's that's totally fair. I think that you and I probably still disagree to some degree about this movie. But I think we also align a lot on a lot of stuff too. And I think uh, optimistically, I would like to believe that the things that we're aligned about um, will be the things that help to inspire more conversations like this for other people. Because I, I do want to like, like maybe do a Joker follow-up episode in like a year and, yeah. and, and see, uh, like, see if we even want to. Well, yeah. Right. <laughs> or, but like, see if, see if they're uh, like track our conversations about it. Cause there was like uh, somebody one time, I think I brought this up before um, g- gave the perspective of, uh, at a party, you're not going to talk about teen pregnancy very, very often, but you might talk about Juno, and that might get you to yeah. teen pregnancy. I do wonder if it's like, have you seen Joker? Yes, and then you end up talking about the different classes. And mental yeah, illness and- I think I think you potentially could. I think this could be a vehicle to start those conversations. It could. Also, I'm just gonna. This is this is certainly less material and um, and impossible to track. Uh, realistically, but I do think one of the things that I think is so valuable about a movie like this isn't necessarily, I mean, conversations are great. Uh, Ballots matter a lot. And um, there are a lot of votes that go out all the time, all over the country, about social services, about uh, the way that things are handled on a sort of legislative level. And it's all the people that saw this movie it's at least one tally on some of those columns, I think, in the right place. So I don't know that it's going to change anything, but I do think that it is contributing in the right way to voters, frankly. Like when you go to think about or talk about or vote on issues uh, that have to do with homelessness and mental illness and social services and class warfare, when you think about that stuff, I think that it will positively motivate 
those kinds of sentiments. I, I believe that about this movie because it is trying to do the things that it's doing, however muddled or uh, slightly less artistically sort of... Uh, presented? Presented. What's sure. the word I was actually looking for? I don't know. It doesn't matter. Point is, uh, I think that it's overall a net positive, um, especially considering how giant it was. Um, and if it was so giant and not positive, then I would be, I'd feel probably a lot like Dixon. I'd have my middle fingers in the air at the end. But yeah. that's not how I felt. I felt like, hey, this is something, this is something good. And I think the audience that I was with, they felt like they kind of got it. Like, it just felt like that, you know? Like, there was just that kind of sentiment of, mm. like, like there's a lot of, it's kind of head-scratching. Not like the bad head-scratching. Like, I have no idea what the crap I just saw, but, like, maybe I need to be thinking about some things. Mm. And I'm maybe just projecting all kinds of stuff onto a bunch of <laughs> nameless people. Very but possible. Still. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, like a lot, a lot of, like, hesitant, like, question mark applause. applause. <laughs> anyway. uh, I'm, 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 I'm curious what we think is next. Is there going to be any continuation of this movie? There was uh, an interview, I think, with Joaquin Phoenix. Before, he had, he had very kind of firmly said, and both he and Todd Phillips had said, like, you know, this is it. It's just a, a one and done. This is just... This this one thing that we're doing just to kind of explore the origins of this of this character, but that's it. And then it made a lot of money. Uh, <laughs> and, and then it and, made a lot of. Money. And then they're like, oh, you know what? Maybe he could Who fight knows? Robert Pattinson. Who could say? You know. Uh, I hope not. I I hope not either. I, I, really I think it depends not. on what the what the Batman is. I will. I what it I, turns out to I don't think it, it will be uh, if. There was years and years ago. Uh, the rumor was that Walking Phoenix uh, was going to be Doctor Strange. He was going to be in the Doctor Strange movie instead of uh, Benedict Cumberbatch. But uh, he balked at it because he did not want to be uh, involved in such a long-term contract. He basically didn't want to be, like, mm. you know, wrapped up in comic book movies. You know, like doing like one every other year. Sure. Uh, so if that is true, and if that is still how uh, Mr. Phoenix feels, then uh, perhaps he he won't want that. But on the other hand. It made a lot of money. Yeah. Uh, the and, other argument is always so compelling. And, the, and, <laughs> and you know what opens up a lot of doors and changes a lot of minds? It's a lot of money. money. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and again, uh, we work for DC Universe, not anything theatrical, so we don't know anything. Yeah, I have no idea. Have I, no I, know, idea. I know less than anything about what might be happening with uh, any upcoming movie or the, the DC Universe, although I am just as intrigued as anyone else, just because this movie did so well and Shazam did okay. Uh, and then Aquaman did very well. So I, so I don't know. I'm sure you know. all three of them so socially significant, uh, <laughs> especially Aquaman. Especially, especially Aquaman. I think Aquaman really sort of uh, opened up a lot of people's eyes vis-a-vis uh, men who are Aqua. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, so I, I, have you listened to our Aquaman episode? I have not, and I'm a little frightened. You <laughs> should. It is there's a my, le- there's a legendary rant. It is on my favorite of my rants. That's and it's it's held. It's held. What's uh, what, it's what, what's, like, what's like the Reader's Digest version of this rant? The Reader's Digest version is that uh, <laughs> is that Aquaman and his main squeeze uh, make out during a genocide. At the yes. End of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I think that's probably the cliff notes. I. It's a bro movie. I. Re- it's very much a bro movie. Oh yeah, I'm Jason Momoa. Woo! <laughs>
I'm Jason Momoa. Woo! That was part of the rant. I like CJ's impression of me better than I like my my impression of myself. Uh, Anyway, it's a... uh, Well, here we are, Dixon, at the end of this episode. It wasn't very funny. You're right. (laughs) Sorry, everyone. Disagree. I've been uncomfortable (laughs) gag laughing the whole time. We'll have to to bring you on 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 a strict comedy... Yeah, 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 give me something a little yeah. lighter next time, like a Schindler's List. You yeah. know? <laughs> we can we can talk about the, the laughing minutes for that. Um, I uh, uh, just so people know, and you need to give them an update. We maybe gave the impression some some listeners reached out to me. We gave, maybe gave them the impression that our hundred and first episode was going to be uh, the the nerd trivia showdown. Oh, um, that is not true. Uh, that is not true. Strictly because uh, Jack, who won. Uh, I sent him his his prizes today. Uh, it was a it was a good box. It was a it was a hefty box. Anyway, uh, we got to figure out the muscle. Getting uh, it to the, yeah, the postal, we we gotta get uh, we gotta get the the schedule figured out. So it will be soon. Uh, maybe not our hundred and first. Actually, definitely not our hundred and first. But uh, but uh, be excited for that because uh, it's it's gonna be good. Because I think Jack knows a thing or two. Yeah, well, so, he certainly knows more than Dixon Gaines. You, <laughs> yes. <laughs> How does that feel? Uh, <laughs> He's not even in the industry anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing but shame. <laughs> uh, All right. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, on Monday, uh, Saturday for the premium listeners, but on Monday we'll be doing a Will Smith spotlight yep. in anticipation to uh, for um, – Gemini Man. Gemini Man, really? which does not have a very high score. Yeah, we'll see how that one goes. On the old uh, Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> but hey, Ang Lee. Anyway. And Will Smith? And Will How Smith. do we feel about Will Smith, whose right, track right. record has ended. Okay. <laughs> well, actually, I, I should add, well, did you guys see uh, Ang Lee's previous movie, uh, Billy, Flint, Billy Lynn's Halftime Walk, Long Halftime Walk? Oh, yeah, so did, uh, I did not see I didn't see, see that, it. Actually. Boy, is it bad, but it is, it is, I probably won't be it. Is it is bad in a really fascinating way. Uh, because it, it, it was uh, his whole thing is now, uh, Angley's thing is that here's this is a preview essentially for Gemini Man, uh, is that is that he's really invested in, in uh, high frame rate filmmaking, uh, where it's like I think it's like 112 frames per second, normally it's 20, wow. 24 frames per second. Oh no, and so the, the, the last one he did. Uh, Billy Lynn's long halftime walk was shot in this uh, ludicrously high frame rate and could only be shown, I think, in like three or four theaters in the country. I went to one of those theaters. It was the Arclight here in Los Angeles, and I saw it. It was uh, bizarre looking because it is more real than real. Uh, it's like a video game. Beyond that. It is, like, it is, it is bizarre looking, but it, it is such a, a – he clearly had all his attention uh, developed just towards the filmmaking process and not towards things like, say, like – acting or story or direction <laughs> and so it's just this weird mishmash of a movie that has this really uh fantastic it is the titular halftime walk uh which looks spectacular but everything else is just sort of like, like, like uh, steve martin uh famously waspy steve martin plays a southern good old boy i think is is pretty much how you can oh, uh, encapsulate yeah. the whole movie okay. Ooh, yeah gemini man i'm really so I'm, I'm I, it is uh, gemini man is also in high frame rate and i'm i'm deeply dismayed to learn that <laughs> yes. i i am a, i am a, a hardcore disciple of the 24 frames of movies yes as you should. that is the only and true frame rate for film <laughs> everyone needs to know <laughs> That is that is it has always been and will always be true. The only true frame rate for film is 24 frames. There are 
Lots of good reasons for that, which we will not go into here. You but just, that's I, re- I, I think you just educated a lot of people that twenty four frame twenty four frames uh, per second is the is the norm. I don't You're think welcome, a, America. I, I don't yeah. think a lot of people know that, but there yeah. you go, people. Yeah, there you there's go. 24, which is the standard for film. There's 30, which is the standard, right, 29.94. Anyway, which is the standard for TV. And then there is 60, which is the standard for video games. And then there's 120. Well, actually, video games ranges could be up to, like, 120. But sports often is broadcast at, at high frame rate. Anyway... It's not for filmmaking. <laughs> the Joker, everybody. It's not for filmmaking. The J- Joker was shot on good old 24 frames and looks beautiful. Looks real beautiful. Uh, yeah. Can we can we at least also agree, though, that Joker was a gorgeous movie? Like a beautiful movie? Okay, I don't what? agree to that. Okay, <laughs> okay never mind. I getting back into it. It's a long episode. I think it was gorgeous. Uh, I thought I I thought the craftsmanship was 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 good. Anyway, do you do you do you know our sign off without us writing it down for you? You know, I even asked that, but I think it is your 100th episode, and you should be doing this. Is your moment to shine? Don't don't let me, who, <laughs> who just took a solid hour right. and fifteen, to like to to kind of like. Ruin okay. Jordan's well, day. This is, your this, is your, this is your moment of triumph. This has been the Seize best it. part of my day, Jason. Um, let's let's split it up. Thank you, Michael Bond Miller, for the music. And remember to love movies like a nerd and respect them like a critic. Good night, everybody. <laughs>